Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Hey, good morning, Risers! Everybody good this morning? What is up? Hey guys, my name is Brent. If we've never had the privilege of meeting, I look forward to meeting you in the future, but I'm Brent. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're going to continue to experience God together today uh, through the Word in just a second. Hey, as we get started, though, we always want to celebrate, and uh, I think it's really cool. So uh, we started translations and services a few weeks ago, and last week uh, we had a a couple from Peru that speak Spanish only uh, that were here. They were able to listen and be part of the service uh, through translation last week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah? Yeah. And our translations team is doing an amazing job. If you know anybody, here's the deal. Uh, Sunday morning at 9 a.m., we're translating into Malayalam. That's the Southern India dialect. Uh, 11 a.m. in here is in Spanish right now being translated. And then uh, 10 a.m. in South Shore, it's in Portuguese for all of our uh, people from Portugal and a lot of Brazilian people down in that area. And so uh, if you know anybody, invite them. Make sure they get to come and experience God alongside of you. And I think that's really cool. Um, have, you ever had like a, uh, have you ever had like a party you got to invite people to? Uh, but you couldn't invite everybody even though you wanted to. So like, like when Ada and I got married, I, I remember having this discussion with her. It's not an argument, but a discussion with her because I wanted to invite everybody I knew. I didn't really have a very good um, condition on like who are close friends, who are acquaintances, and who are those people out there. And I'm like, I want everybody to come to this because they need to know that I scored this hottie, that I'm going to marry her. Like, I need everybody in the world to know this, so let's invite everybody. And Ada's like, we can't afford to pay for the food for everybody. And I'm like, okay, you got a point there, right? So maybe you're inviting them over to your house or whatever, and uh, there's not enough space for everybody that you would want to involve. Whatever, you can't invite everybody. How how about, have you ever um, invited people over and then people came that weren't invited over? Somehow with that crowd, and when they're walking in, you're going, uh... Like, like, um, so I oversee um, the churches in this section for the Assemblies of God, the 20-something churches in this area. And so we have these ministers' meetings, um, and sometimes they're lunch, sometimes they're dinner. And so I remember this one time we had this dinner leadership meeting, and, and because it's not a ton of people, usually 40, 50, maybe 60 on a, on a really good one, uh, people at these, these events... Um, and because it's not that many, we always have to RSVP. It's like, I need you to tell me if you're coming so that we know how much food to get, right? And like this one particular event, uh, we had ordered enough food. We had planned it all out. We were supposed to have like, you know, 45 people or something. I don't know. And that number. And I watch as all these people start showing up that didn't RSVP. And there was this one church in our area that showed up with like 15 people. And they're walking in and I'm going, uh, like, um... I guess I won't eat, right? Because it's like, there's only so much food for so many people. I, I say all that to say this. We get to the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation. That's where we are now. And God is inviting everyone to come. They're all invited to the party, the, the party in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're all invited to come, but there are prerequisites to coming that we're about to see. Now, uh, if you've been with us in this series, we have been 13 weeks in the book of Revelation. We're calling it the end of the world as we know it. This is the longest series I have ever preached in my life. It's 23 years almost of full-time ministry now. Longest series I've ever preached in my life. And we get to wrap it up today by wrapping up the Bible and actually literally reading the last words in the book of Revelation. Consequently, the last words in the Bible. So let's see what's going on this party and who's invited and how they come. Revelation 22, verses 12 through 21. It says, look... I am coming soon. I love the exclamation point. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Are you getting rewards? 
Hmm, that's a whole other message for another time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, the, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony. For the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, what? Let me hear you say it real loud. The spirit and the bride say, and let one who hears say, let the one who is thirsty, there you go, and let the one who wishes to take the fruit, the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds to any of them, uh, anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if, I, and if anyone takes, away, uh, the, take, takes words away from the scroll of the prophecy, God will take, that away from, take away from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this scroll. The very last two verses, he who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. What's the word for that? Maranatha. You guys remember that last week? Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the very last verse of the Bible. Y'all need to pay attention online today. Uh, God was speaking this whole other message to me this morning on that very last verse. And I'm going to have to just share it online today, I think. So make sure you see that. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 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 Great stories oftentimes start and end in the same place. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, if you watch like, uh, like Forrest Gump, starts, ends in the same place. Saving Private Ryan starts, ends in the same place. Some Dog Millionaire starts, ends in the same place. Story movies, stories in general, some really great authors will write it in such a way that it ends in the same place it began. Uh, you might notice this. I don't always do it, but I actually try for my messages to do the same thing because I want them to revolve around and come back and tie a nice little bow on top of the package when it's all done and end at the same place that it begins. In the Bible, as it ends, you see the amazing author, the greatest author, God himself. As he wraps up the Bible, he actually brings it right back to the beginning. Uh, if you're taking notes, that would be your first point uh, right there. The Bible ends with a reminder of the beginning. Revelation ends with a reminder of the beginning. Say, what in the world are you talking about? Because if you just breeze through this, you won't catch on to this or what's going on right here. But the Bible ends where it begins. It's a picture of the Garden of Eden. It's a picture of God's presence being with man, a picture of heaven, the very place that you and I were created to live and dwell in God's presence that we were, uh, because of sin, cast out from. Now it's a picture of coming back to it. And in verse 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, I was there in the beginning. In Genesis, I was there, and I am still here at the end. The Alpha and Omega, that's, that's the, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying from A to Z. I was there in the beginning and the end. Uh, my crazy parents uh, named me Brent after naming the firstborn in our family, Brett. So I have a brother named Brett. Don't do that to your kids. It's just weird. Every aunt and uncle, everybody else calls us by our wrong names all the time. But my oldest brother is Brett. And my mom used to always say that you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first child and the last child. I'm the baby. And uh, that you are the alpha and the omega. In this sense, the alpha and omega are not two people like that. It's one person that Jesus is saying, I am the beginning 
And I am the end. I am there in Genesis, the book of beginnings. That's what Genesis means. And I am there in the end. And now you are invited to eat from the tree of life. This is interesting. Uh, Verse 14 says, They may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Stay with me for just a second. You might say, but wait, I thought we couldn't eat from the tree of life anymore because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We invited sin into the world. Therefore, we could not eat from the tree of life because you begin to die. But here we see that you're being invited to eat from the tree of life all over again. And you were expelled from the garden with an angel that stood there and said, listen, you cannot get through these gates any longer. But now the gates are open right back up for you to come back in and eat from the tree of life that you had lost your permission to eat from because of sin. Are you all with me? And so you're seeing this at the end of the book of Revelation. You're seeing this picture all the way back to the beginning, to this paradise, and saying, come back with me here. In fact, if you want to sum the whole Bible up into like a sentence, it can be summed up this way, that man sinned and lost a relationship with God, lost proximity to God, and the rest of the Bible is just God trying to bring man back into his presence. How do I get you to come back into my presence? How do I woo you and allow you back in? And so you see this picture right here. And if you're taking notes, I want you to see this. We're going to be deep this morning. Is that okay? I promise you it'll be practical, but we're going we're gonna to take it a little deeper than we might normally do. Uh, and I want you to see this, that Adam creates fission. Adam creates fission. Adam, Adam simply means man. That's all, that's all Adam means. Uh, but Adam, or man, creates fission, both in the sense of Adam, the person, and in the sense of man. Both of them create fission. Fission is the act of splitting things into parts or dividing things. Fission is the act of causing division. Division. (coughs) Excuse me, I don't have COVID. Excuse me. (laughs) The atomic bomb works off of fission. So you have an atom that gets split in half. And when that happens, it causes such a wake of destruction from the division that happens that, 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 that it'll destroy everything that's within its path. That's exactly what sin does. In the same way that an atomic bomb causes problems and wakes, the sin of Adam, the Adam bomb, A-D-A-M bomb, destroyed everything within its wake. And when sin does that, sin separates. That's what it does. That's what sin does. And so it separates This is key. Sin separates you and God. That's fairly obvious. Most of us in this room already know that. But it not only separates you and God, sin also separates you and your fellow man. It also divides us. So then we end up in a place where we talk about racism and and injustice and poverty and social issues and social classes and classes based on ages and all of these things, which, which really can be summed up with this word otherism that says that you will always look for something other in another person to find something you don't like. It's human nature. If it's not skin color, it'll be something else. Because the sin of atom... Adam is like an atom bomb that blew up and has caused ripple effects in humanity forever and destroyed everything in its wake. And so not only did it divide you and God, it also divided you and your fellow man. That's why, and and I'm all for rules and laws and things like that, but that's why ultimately they will never fully succeed in defeating these hearts of of the sins of the heart because those things are sins of the heart. They're sins that are caused by sin. They're problems that are caused by sin. Therefore, they have to be put back together by something else. It's not just going to be laws 
alone. And so, so Adam's sin becomes like this atom bomb, and it destroys all those in its wake. In fact, if you don't believe me, just look at the book of Genesis, and you see with Adam and Eve that they have a child, and their sin is so great that within their first children, they commit murder. Cain kills Abel. And the first children commit murder. Murder is the ultimate act of separation. It's the ultimate act to say, I don't want relationship with you anymore to the extent that I will kill you to get rid of you in my life. And so the separation begins to happen. You know what you call people who are separated, people who are in division within themselves? You call them broken. We have broken people in a broken world trying to solve it with broken systems right now. Hmm. On the counter of that, though, while Adam brings fission, Jesus creates fusion. Fusion is the opposite of fission. Fusion is actually what pulls things back together. Adam brought fission. Jesus brings fusion. And, and, and Jesus even referred to as the second Adam multiple times in the New Testament. And some of you have heard me say this so often, it's, it's getting normal to you, but I hope it does, and I hope all of us get it, that the word saved in the Greek is the word sozo, which simply means to be whole. It means to be not lacking anything. In other words, not divided, not broken, not having chips that are missing, but perfectly whole, exactly the way it's intended to be. That's why you are both saved and being saved. You are saved when you give your life to Christ, but you are not fully whole. You are being made whole as you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and sanctified by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Are you all with me? Not just fusion, but fusion, not just fusion with God, but also fusion with our fellow man. Again, if you really want to have relationship with your fellow man, that means we have to stop dividing through Adam's sin and start loving through God's fusion. The opposite of hatred would be love, right? Most of us would agree with that. Hatred spurs this thing that divides us that you see in America right now on all kinds of levels. But within Christianity, you have this incredible idea of love. Love is actually what pulls things together. That's why Jesus creates fusion because of love. Are you all with me? In fact, if, if, you, if you agree with that, make sure you're here for the next, season, the next series called Throwing Shade, as we're going to talk about how to, how to build bridges and become peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. How to be peacemakers within our world right now, not only with the political things of our world, but you're about to walk into some holidays with that crazy uncle and cousin who got those weird beliefs that drive you crazy. So we want to make sure that we become peacemakers in the middle of that, not just throwing shade. But, 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 but we're created for union with God and union with our brother. So God creates fusion within us. That's why the central ethic of Christianity is simply love God and love people. Because love brings back together. Hatred separates. Sin separates. Love brings back together. Love looks over all of the issues with them. It ignores some of them. It lets some of them go. It refuses to hold bitterness. It refuses to hold on to, to revenge and things like that that we do. And that's why you see in verse 17, and I had you say it before, the spirit and the bride say, come, come, don't get away. Get away is what happened in Genesis. Get away was you have sinned. Now you are excommunicated from this, from this place of my presence for now. But now at the end, we're back here and now I'm inviting you back in. Come, come, come and come and let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of, of the water of life. In other words, come, 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 come. Are y'all with me? 
So fusion creates oneness. There's another theological word for oneness. It's holiness. Interesting. When you become one with God, you become holy. If you're taking notes, that would be the next thing that I want you to see. Holiness grants access to God's presence. Holiness grants access to God's presence. So while you see this image of Jesus in the end of the book going, come, come, come back to my presence, come back. The gates are open wide now. There is no angel keeping you apart. I have died for your sins. You are made righteous now. Come, come. And while you see him shouting out to come, you also see that in order to come, you have to have some prerequisites. You have to have a a form of holiness. Listen to what it says. Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's an image that you are clean before God. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Now you can walk in. Outside, those are the ones that can't come or don't come. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Outside, they are separating. Inside, we're inviting you to come together. See, I want you to see this because some of us have this a wrong image. Holiness is not a bad word. As soon as I start to word, put the word holiness into a message, there are some people that instantly start cringing. Holiness is not a bad word. Holiness simply means to be set apart for a special purpose. Right, so, so some of us had, like, like my granny when I was a kid, uh, she had a couch that you could not sit on. I don't know why anybody has a couch that you can't sit on. That's the purpose of a couch. In her case, not only did she have a couch that she protected that you could not sit on, but she also put sheets over the couch so that it wouldn't get dirty from you walking by. (laughs) That same granny had dishes that sat up in in a cupboard in a shelf that were decorative that never actually got used. They were set apart. Here's the difference, though. Some of us have been taught holiness is to be set apart. That's only half the definition, to be set apart for a purpose. You can be the couch that's set apart as special, but at some point, you got to pull the sheet off and sit on it. You can be the dishes that are set apart, but at some point, they got to come off the shelf and get used. So maybe a better example, especially if you know me, is some stuff with me. So, so, so I, have, I have holy sanctified. I have holy things like my shoes. Not these shoes so much. But if you ever see my white Nikes that I just bought, my white Jordans, my, my white Jays, I don't wear those anytime except Sundays. They are holy. They are set apart from every other thing. Are y'all with me? But they are set apart for a purpose. The purpose is, don't get dirty. I want to wear them on Sundays to look good. You won't see me wearing those on Mondays or Tuesdays because they'll get dirty. Now, eventually, they'll get dirty from Sundays, and they'll find themselves into the everyday wear. But I want them to stay white. Are y'all with me? Therefore, those shoes are holy. They are set aside as special for a special purpose, a unique purpose. Uh, last um, couple weeks ago on a restoration room, I came in and I was wearing a suit. And every time I end up wearing a suit, people look at me like, I'm, like I got you know, another head. And they're like, Pastor, you have a suit? I'm like, yes. I have to do weddings and funerals and stuff every once in a while, and you got to wear a suit, right? So the suit, when I take it off, goes into a special closet that we don't go into nearly as often because that's the suit closet. And a few times a year, I have to pull it out. It is holy. It is separate for a distinct purpose to pull back out whenever it's needed. Are you with me? Are you with me? That's a picture of of holiness to the degree right there. It's, It's separated for a special 
purpose. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 20 through 21. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So as you give yourself over to God now, what you see, you are separated from everything else and made holy. In the Old Testament, you were, anything that was given to God was considered holy. So, so the utensils within the temple were considered holy. The tithe, and so to this day, the tithe as you give it to God is considered holy. Now it is out of your hands and into his hands. In the New Testament now, you are holy, separate from the world as you are given to God and say, God, you use me however you see fit. Not just separate, but used. Prepared for a purpose. So whatever area of your life you give to God, give to God in complete surrender becomes holy. Obviously through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm taking it a step further than that, that the blood washes you and makes you separate for a purpose. So as you surrender these things over to God, it's for a purpose. Even the word holiness in the original language means to be cut off. In other words, to be cut off from the world, to be cut off from normal common practices, to be different. And and holiness is, at the end of the day, choosing surrender over sin. So when you surrender your heart over to the Lord, your heart becomes holy. When you surrender your marriage over to the Lord, it becomes holy. It goes into His hands. Surrender your mind over to the Lord, it becomes holy. Now it's set apart for God to use as He deems, for His purposes, however He disposes of those purposes. Are you with me? And i got to say this, because some of us need to know this. Holiness is not compliance. Yet that's the way that a lot of us kind of grew up in a holiness kind of setting. You know, we come out of the Pentecostal movement and the the, the holiness movement in the Assemblies of God and in most Pentecostal circles uh, the same way. Holiness is not compliance. Some of us grew up in, in environments where if you went to the movie theater, like you better pray Jesus didn't come back while you're at the movie theater because you would go to hell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like if you go to a restaurant and that restaurant has a bar in the like a Beef O'Brady's, like, you could go to hell for that. Because there were all these lists of do this and don't do this and all these, these lists. Um, you know, uh, even if you go back a little bit further, there were funny things like, like women couldn't wear makeup and, and things like that. And, and, and to the extent, like, like women can't wear slacks. Like, I remember talking to our, our founding pastors, Bill and Barbara Wynn, and I was talking to Barbara one day a few years ago. And we were talking about church controversies. And she was saying how when she came and early on in the life story of the church, of our church, in the early 60s, that there was a, a women's uh, like landscaping day where they were going to plant flowers and stuff at the church back in the early 60s. And Barbara had the audacity to wear slacks. They're doing yard work, y'all. She had the audacity to wear slacks. And that just caused a church uprising right there, right? Because some of us have this idea that holiness is a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do more of the do's and don't do the don'ts, now you're holy. Right? So there used to be a thing we'd say, right? We don't, we don't drink, smoke, or chew or run with girls who do. Right? And some of us have this image that that's what it is. But that's not what it is. Holiness is an orientation of the heart. Holiness is a direction that your heart is facing. Uh, Choosing surrender over sin should be the natural outworking of our relationship with Jesus. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. I don't want to sin against my wife because I love my wife, not because 
not, not because I have a list of what not to do to my wife. Are you with me? If you have a list of what not to do to your spouse that you have to follow, you are in a bad marriage. If you just have to be compliant to say, I said I wouldn't cheat on her, so I guess I just can't. You know, I said I wouldn't do this, so I guess I just Right? If, if you're following a list, you've missed the whole thing. But that's what we do in the church world. We start making lists of do's and don'ts, and we start following those lists. Instead of going, how do I love the Lord more, and I don't want to do anything that would cause division between me and him, sin separates. I don't want anything that would separate me and him, and therefore I'm chasing the heart of God. Certainly there's things I don't do, but I don't do them because I'm not supposed to do them. I do them because I love him. Are you with me? It's an orientation of the heart. And sin is not about, or sin is not about breaking rules. It's about breaking relationship. That's the key. It's about breaking relationship. It's about fission. Sin is about fission, broken relationships. However, holiness is about connecting relationships or fusion. 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 It's love. It's love. That's why we love the Lord our God. We love our fellow man. And when you have love, you will let a lot of things go that creates unity, not division. Are you with me? Can we take it a tad deeper? I'll give you a third point. Let's talk about holiness in another regard. Holiness allows you to hear God's voice. Holiness allows you to hear God. So most of us picture, whether this is true or not, it doesn't matter for this illustration, but most of us have this image that God is out there somewhere. So God in that type of setting has allowed us to hear his voice. And so he has paved a way for us to put our ear up to his megaphone, so to speak, and hear God's voice. If you want to be in step with the band, you have to be hearing the band director, right? Think of a marching band and they're up there doing their thing. Everybody's attention is focused on them. That's why they can all stay in rhythm. You have to be able to hear those drums in order to keep your feet in rhythm. And when it's in rhythm, it is beautiful. It's incredible. Look at, look at FAMU and some of, those, some of those marching bands that do all the cool stuff when they march perfectly in rhythm. And you watch it and you're going, that's so cool. Why? Because they're listening to the same rhythm. They're listening to the same beat. They're watching the same conductor, the same director. If we want to be in step with the Lord, we have to hear the Lord's voice. It's a little deeper than that, though, because even through a little tube like this, you can take it and point it at somebody, and everybody that's on the direction that the tube is pointed is going to hear it, because the sound waves will echo through the tube to the extent that I can say, Ernie, Jesus loves you, and he can hear me way over there, even through a whisper. Do you realize there is such a way to live that you can live so holy and so clean that you can even hear God's whispers? I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I think God is talking and I can't hear him because he's got to slap me upside the head and get my attention. <laughs> Come on now. And so, so when you're truly attentive to the Holy Spirit, you can even hear the whispers of God. And so God has created an avenue. He's created a way for us to hear his voice. But this is what we tend to do. Let me see if I can. These are underneath, sorry. We have sin that enters into our life, right? So let's start with the big one, lust. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust, right? This is one that all of us deal with in some fashion or other. And so lust starts to creep, in, oops, lust starts to creep up into our, into our world. And all of a sudden, the avenue to hear God's voice starts to get a little bit clogged up. You with me? You know, if I talk like this, you can still hear me over there, but not as well. It's a little more muted, isn't it? 
Like you can't hear it nearly as well. And if I were listening to somebody talking on the other end, it's, it's a, lot more, a lot more muted, but, but yet we fall into these different sins. And so we get envy because, because you know, uh, Pastor Brad can sing so well and I get so envious of that. And can I just tell you, the dude never played a piano in his life and went to the piano and like three weeks later, he's playing like he's a pianist. And I'm like, I'm like Brad, I hate you. I hate you right now. That's envy. That's envy. And uh, so instead of celebrating other people, we start becoming envious of other people. And it starts clogging up our ability to be able to hear the voice of God. How about greed? Greed is, greed is so funny because we don't even know how to define greed, especially in America, because <laughs> we don't even like to use the word. Greed is the assumption that the excess is for your consumption. Greed is the assumption that whatever I have, I get to choose what I do with it. Instead of saying, God, it's surrendered to you. In other words, made holy to you. Now it's all for me. And so we get, we get greedy. And greed starts to clog up. You know, and if I were to talk to you now, you can barely hear me at all. The same voice that I was just... Now it's clogged up. It's funny how our sins separate vision. Sin separates our ability to hear from God. How about this one? This is a big one we don't talk a lot about. Laziness. I took... These are five of the seven deadly sins. Officially, it's called sloth. But we don't really use that word anymore. And when I say sloth, I think of chunk from the Goonies. So anyway. <laughs> so laziness, right? So God's calling us to do this thing, but we're just, we're just not going to do it. We're just kind of lazy. We're just not willing to put the work in. We know that God wants us to read the Bible. We know that God wants us to fulfill some of these spiritual disciplines. We're just, just simply not going to do it because um, at the end of the day, we're just lazy. Pride. Some people could argue that pride is the root of all sins. Every sin comes down to pride at some point. And, and so pride starts to enter into our lives. And, and before we know it, while God has connected a way to hear his voice, to be in relationship with him, we clog up the way. Not God. God made the way. We clog up the way so that when God speaks, you can't even hear his voice. If I didn't have a microphone on right now, you wouldn't even hear that. So now we're listening, going, God, where are you? And God's going, I'm talking. Would you, would you unclog this a little bit? I'm talking, but you can't hear me because you've put stuff that's blocking our relationship. Listen, whatever blocks your relationship with God, that's sin. Whatever blocks your ability to hear from God, that's sin. Now, I was thinking about this and thinking how we are called to be temples of God. You and I are walking, living, breathing temples of God. Right, I mean, there's many verses that talk about it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 is one. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Temples are interesting things. Temples in every religion, temples are set apart as holy. It's a good example of holiness. Temples are not like every other house. Every other house is ordinary. Temples are set apart as special. People go to the temple on a unique thing. And what do they go to the temple for? They go to the temple to pray, to talk to God, and to hear God, to talk to God, and to hear God, right? They go to temples to experience God. Y'all with me? If you are a walking, living, breathing temple of God, and you can't hear God, and God can't hardly hear you because of your sin, so to speak, if you can't hear God, how are people going to encounter God through you? That's the problem with sin. That's the problem with living unholy lives. It's not that it's a list of do's and don'ts. You are the, are the place that people encounter God because you are a walking, breathing temple. They should go to you when they want to know a word from God. 
if they're an unbeliever. They should, they should go to you for wisdom and clarification and ideas and creativity and all the different things that God has. They should go to you. But we find ourselves in this place that we can't hear God. So when they come to us, they get more of us than they get of God. They get more of our wisdom than they get of God's wisdom. And we find ourselves in that place. We can't hear God. We're not experiencing God. So why would anybody else? So <clears throat> are people experiencing God through you? Are people experiencing God through you? All right, let's take it a step further. Why do we end up in this place? We end up in this place because there's a battle within you that you are a trinity, so to speak. You are three parts. There's a battle that goes on within you. That's, that's why you end up in this place. Uh, you are three parts. Your spirit, first of all. Uh, your spirit is the part of you that lives forever. When we say things in the church where like we're saving souls, that's not technically accurate. We're saving spirits. Your spirit is the part of you that lives forever. It's the part of you that the day you gave your life to Christ, your spirit was made holy within you. Your spirit was sanctified. That's to be made holy, to be made into a saint, to be set apart. Your spirit was sanctified in you instantly on that day. And your spirit craves God. It craves holiness. It loves it, right? But you're not just spirit. If you were just spirit, it'd be easy to say holy. One day you will be. But you're not just spirit. You're also mind. <laughs> and if you haven't noticed yet, your mind is not made holy yet. <clears throat> Some of you know that because you're already thinking thoughts this morning that would tell you that your mind is not holy. Your mind has to go through a sanctification process. That's why Romans 12, 2 would say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what happens when you renew your mind? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you will be able to hear from God when you start renewing your mind. Right? So, so you're not just spirit, but you're also mind. There's a constant battle that goes on in your mind. Joyce Meyer wrote a book called Battlefield of the Mind. That's a great title. There's a battle going on in your mind. But you're not just there. In fact, the, the greatest battles you'll face may not be your mind. It may be your body. That's the third part of you. That's what the Bible refers to as flesh oftentimes. And, and we all know in this room that your flesh is not holy. Your flesh has all kind of cravings that are unholy, that desperately it, it wants to do. It wants to do these things. And it could be everything from eating chocolates you know you're not supposed to be eating to, to big sins like sexual things and all of that. But at the end of the day, your body, your physical body is not sanctified. Therefore, you have to put it unto subjection. Galatians 5.24, tons of verses about this, but it says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. So you have to fight against the flesh. You might have to steer and renew your mind, but you've got to beat your body into subjection. That's why we fast. Just connecting dots for you, okay? If, if you think your flesh is not strong, don't eat for about three days. You will find out how loud your flesh is as it starts screaming at you wanting food. And, so, and so, so we find this place where your spirit craves God. Your spirit craves holiness. Your spirit craves God, but your mind and your body are not at all. And you're renewing your mind to make it line up with your spirit, and you're beating your body to make it line up with your spirit, but it's not naturally craving those things. You all understand that? How about this way? So, so, so my, my, uh, my mind says no, but my body says yes. All right, some of y'all got that one. And so you end up with this battle that's going on within you. A battle over holiness, which is a significant battle because the holiness aspect is where he said, come, 
or wash your clothes. Get right. Come. So it's, a, so it's an important one. I was thinking about that. God is, God's more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. Y'all have heard me say that. You've heard other pastors say that, I'm sure. But the real question is, are we more concerned with our holiness than our happiness? That's the real question. Because your body wants you to be happy. Your mind wants you to be happy. Your spirit says, I want you to be holy. Which one are you submitting to? Which one am I submitting to? That's, that's the real question. So, all right, so, so we often lose this battle. We, we often fight. That's where God's grace comes in. So how do we get to the place that we've got these sins in our life and we're trying to hear from God and I can't hear from him and people come to me and they need to hear from God and I can't even hear from God to give them a word from God. I'm not being a very good temple. How do we get to that place that we can unclog our pipe, so to speak? Well, it starts with this one, conviction. Conviction. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is a great thing. Conviction is that, is that spirit inside of you that says, hey, this ain't right. What you just did was wrong. You need to do something about it. Conviction is not something you run from. It's something you run towards. In fact, the difference oftentimes between a believer and an unbeliever is what they do with conviction. What am I gonna, how am I going to handle it when God convicts me? Am I going to ignore it? If you ignore conviction long enough, the Bible talks about your spirit being seared as if with a hot iron. It stops sensing God's voice because why would God keep speaking if you're not going to listen? So conviction is God's voice going, hey, we need to, we need to clean this thing out that you've built up right there. That's, that's, that's conviction. It's powerful. It's awesome. But conviction alone is not all you need because you need to couple conviction with confession. So now all of a sudden, I'm starting to push some stuff out of my life that has been there for a long time. Here's the thing about confession, is that most of us in the modern American sense, uh, we don't do confession very well, uh, because most of us, like, like, we pray prayers like, God, just forgive me of everything ever. God, you know I'm a sinner, you know all things, you know every sin I've ever done, so God, just wipe all of them out. We, 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 we're really good at those. Let me, tell you, let me tell you how confession works. First of all, it needs to be immediate or as soon as you feel the conviction. It's not once a night. It's not I lay my head on the pillow and I pray, God, forgive me of what I did today. No, it's in the moment. Confess. Uh, uh, as soon as you feel conviction, you start confessing. And you are specific. God, when I thought that, that's not me. I don't want that to be me. God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. So you feel convicted, you confess. So it's in the moment, it's immediate, and it's specific. It's not generic. It's not, God, forgive me of everything I ever did. God, I, I, I messed up right here. I shouldn't have talked to my wife this way. I shouldn't have done this to my child. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have lied about this. I shouldn't have pushed the envelope in this area. God, forgive me right now, specifically about my sins. Be specific so you confess them. You know, another one thing about confession is this, that confession, oftentimes, if you really want to get right, especially if it's a big sin that you've been struggling with for a long time, needs to not only be to God, but to somebody else. That's why you need accountability partners. That's why you need somebody around you that you can go to and confess your sins to one another. And there's some sins you don't have to confess to one another. You know, there's little things that, that you confess to God and he forgives you and you just move on. But if it's a recurring over and over sin that you struggle with, it's time to take that confession, not just to God, but also to your brother, to your sister, and say, hey, I need some accountability with this. I need to confess that I'm struggling and I need your help. But if you have conviction and confession only, you're still lacking. You have to couple it with a third one, and that would be repentance. And as you couple 
Repentance, meaning to turn from your ways, meaning to turn around, do an about face. That I'm not going to do this any longer. That I feel convicted about it. I confess that I'm doing it. But I'm also not about just to keep doing it. And repentance says, I'm going to turn the other way. And all of a sudden, what you see happening is you just unstopped the things that were stopping up your spiritual ears. So now, you can hear from God all over again. It becomes a spiritual Q-tip. Come on, y'all. That says, I need to hear from God all over again. How, how well are you hearing from God right now? How well do you hear from God? I promise you this. If you're not hearing God, it's not because God's not speaking, and it's not because he ran away from you. It's because we clogged up our side. It's because the conduit to God's voice has been clogged up by our own sins. So how often do you need to do these things? Well, pretty often. I would say at least once a day, sometimes once an hour. In the holidays, maybe once every 30 minutes for some of us. <laughs> you're about to have drunk Uncle Rico at Thanksgiving. He's going to drive you crazy and you're going to want to punch him in the throat and you're going to have to go repent, calm down, confess, right? God, give me grace. To, you know, you got to consistently do it. That's the point. You got to consistently do it. How well are you hearing God's voice? Huh. So, fusion and vision. Vision puts stuff between you and God that separates you. Sin. Sin separates. Fusion is what God does. And he says, I am making a way for you to have relationship with me all over again. Fusion and fission. Fusion and fission. <clears throat> and then he says, come. Come. Stand up with me if you would around the room. Come. It's not terribly hard. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to do anything. You just simply have to rely on the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's about taking on ownership of his holiness that he's already given to us. You just give your life to him. Come. 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 When I was a kid... Um, it's different than it is nowadays, I guess, but uh, I lived outside pretty much um, because if I was inside, my mom would make me do chores. So when I went, you say, are you laughing? Because, you know, if I went inside, I ended up vacuuming the house or I ended up cleaning something. So I didn't want to be inside. Like, I wanted to be outside all the time. And so I would hide, like, outside. Like, you know, so I was always out playing something in the yard. And, and uh, where I grew up, my aunt lived across the street from us. It was unusual, but she was literally across the street. And she had a lot bigger property than we had. And so I was always at her house playing in her yard, which was just in front of ours, just across the street. And when it came dinner time or whatever, my mom or my brothers or somebody would come out and they would yell, Brent, come in, come home, dinner's ready. And that was my cue that I could go home without having to worry about vacuuming the floor. I just had to eat, right? Jesus is saying, come, come. You went out, not you, not you literally, but Adam, the sin of Adam, created an atomic explosion that separated and you went out and now he stands on the door and he's going, come home, come, 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 come. All who are willing, come, come, come. I will make you white. I will make you holy. All you got to do is surrender to me. I will fix it for you. Come. That's why earlier in Revelation, Revelation 3.20, Jesus would say, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. That's the door of your heart. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's that same image. As the book ends, as the whole Bible, the 66 books, this whole huge book that most of us have never read, as it ends, it goes right back to the beginning. It's a beautiful story how it comes back around. And in the beginning, your sin made you separate. At the end, he's saying, my holiness makes you free to come home. And Jesus is there going, come, come. All who are weary, come. All who are tired, come. All who are thirsty, come, come, come. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted him or you've wandered away from him. Maybe you used to follow the Lord and something in life has happened and you ended up out there somewhere. No matter who, no matter which way it is, Jesus is still saying, come, come. That's why he gave the amazing parable of the prodigals, prodigal son, which is really the story of the loving father. The father's still on the porch waiting for the son. He's waiting for you, saying, come, come, come. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. Whether it's the first time or I need to come back to him this morning. He is wooing you. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's on you right now saying, I need to come home. That's that first step. The next step would be confession, which is what we're about to do. And if that's you here this morning, you say, I need to come back to the Lord or I need to come to him for the first time. If that's you, will you stick your hand up and wave it at me? I want to pray with you around the room. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Come on, pray with me around the room. Say, Jesus, I need you. And I surrender to you. I give you my life. From this day forward, all that I am is yours. So I confess my need for you. I repent of my sins. Make me holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. And if you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor and make sure you see one of us afterwards. If somebody brought you, make sure you have that conversation with them. But also text Jesus to 21777 at some point today or next few moments. Text that and we'll start a 21-day little journey with you through devotions and just leading you on this, this new journey of faith. It's really a beautiful thing. All right, I want to switch over now to everybody else. Hey, we get to have an altar call. Yeah, thank God for the next phase. I had said that we were going to have communion back again this morning. We had some problems with the actual communion elements that came in. They weren't good. And so we're going to have that coming soon, but it's not today. So don't don't fret over that. Uh, But we will have an altar time in just a moment. And if you want special prayer for anything, we want to invite you up at that moment. Our altar team will be wearing masks. It's up to you whether you wear a mask when you come or not, but they will be wearing masks uh, for your safety and also your peace of mind. All right, I, I, I end with this for all the rest of us in this room. How well are you hearing God's voice? You cannot march to the beat of your drummer if you can't hear the drummer. How well are you hearing God's voice? Because this is what I know. You can hear the news anchor's voice. I know because some of you are repeating them a lot. Let that sink in. If you haven't noticed, I don't repeat news anchor's voices because that's not what I'm called to do. I'm an ambassador of Christ. You are an ambassador of Christ that speaks on his behalf and his behalf only. But you can hear some news person's voice, and so you repeat what you hear. You, you, can, you can hear some song's voice, and you can recite the song right back. 
But how well are you hearing God's voice? Because here's the thing that people need right now, and as we go into this next series for next week, here's what people need right now. They need you to be temples. They need us to be people that when they come and encounter us, they encounter Jesus. They encounter something that's creating fusion, not fission. They encounter something that's bringing us together. So how well are we hearing God's voice? How in step with Him are we? (laughs) What is blocking our relationship with God? Because God didn't put it there. It's time for us to make those things right. And then this last big question, how would your life change if you could hear God's voice more clearly? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And the more sin we put in the way, the more muted his voice becomes. Today is a day to clean out our spiritual ears. Say, God, let me hear your voice clearly. All right, I'm going to invite up our prayer team. Sorry, I should have done that already. We're going to sing one last song as our custom was before COVID. We're going to sing one last song and we're going to worship together. And if you want special prayer for anything this morning, I want to invite you up during this song and, and come on up and we want to pray with you. It could be financial need, a marital need. It could be something completely off topic to the message this morning. Or it may be something from the message this morning where you just want somebody to pray and agree with you. That's something along with the message. But either way, we're going to worship the Lord for one last song. And then we're going to come up. Pastor Karen's going to close this out in just a second but around the room would you just lift your hands towards heaven and let's begin to call out to him and say God open up my spiritual ears God let me hear your voice in my life let me recognize what you're saying to me greater than the the FM transmitter in my car greater than the cable show on my television God let me hear your voice and recite back what I hear from you let me be a walking living breathing temple of the Holy Spirit that when people encounter me they're encountering something holy something that you are speaking through come on if you want special prayer join us up front Pastor Bradley Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.